0: All right, welcome back. Sunday, April 24th, Brit Here with my boy, Ben Standing, of The Athletic. We are here with you until noon. The Nationals take on the Giants series finale, 1.30 today. Here on 106.7 The Fan, you can hear the Nationals pregame before that. But first, let's get into the Nationals, Ben. With someone who has been there, been around, Seen what's going on. No, he doesn't own Facebook, but it does sound like he does a lot. Mark Zuckerman, Massensports.com. Mark, how are you? Good
1: morning, guys. How you doing?
0: Doing well. Can't complain. Doing much better than Patrick Corbin, Mark. Um, oh, ouch. Oof. I mean, what is going on? I think I read that he got booed off the mound on Friday, which is, I you would know better than me. Highly unusual for a, a, a Nationals fan base. They're not, they're not boo-happy, right? This isn't New York. Um, what is going on with him?
1: Yeah, I would say, and I I wrote this in my story the next morning that, um, you know, you could probably count on one hand, the number of nationals players who've been booed by the home fans here. And until the other night, I don't think you could say that any member of the 2019 World Series roster had ever been booed by the home fans. Certainly not the guy who was the winning pitcher in game seven of the World Series. So that tells you just how far he's fallen since then. And um, it's been tough to watch. I mean, ever since that game in Houston on October 30th, 2019, he has the worst stats of any starting pitcher in baseball. Um, It's been going on for three years, and it's gotten worse this year. The ERA is over 11 now. And, uh, you know, he's frustrated by it. It's not for lack of effort on his part. But what you've seen is a guy who – had a path to success in 2018 with Arizona and in 2019 here where he could get ahead and account with fastballs and then go to his slider, which is his go, you know, put away pitch. And it was really successful and it has not worked since then. And he has not been able to find another path to success. They've worked with them on develop, developing a changeup, uh, trying some other things and it just has not worked. And it kind of leaves them in, you know, what do you do? If not for his contract, he wouldn't be in the rotation. He would probably be in the bullpen right now or worse but because of the contract fairly or unfairly uh and, and their lack of other options he's still a part of the rotation for the foreseeable future.
2: Mark uh, good good to hear from you. I haven't seen you for for a long minute. Um the so just to stay on that obviously look the players got to figure this out ultimately whenever any player is going through these struggles it starts with that person but there are coaches for a reason. I'm just curious the Nator you know early in the year they're 27th in ERA overall last year they were 24th is the Pitching coach uh, getting enough? Are they getting enough? Is he doing enough? I guess to help these players. Do we view any of the of these issues with Corbin or others from the coaching side, or is that just overly simplistic?
1: Well, look, it's obviously been natural to, to ask those things, and certainly the pitching staff under Jim Hickey, who took over last year, um, you know, has not performed up to what anyone would hope. Now, it's also a very different pitching staff than was here prior to that. Uh, Max Scherzer is gone. Steven Strasburg has barely pitched. Um, but Corbin is a, is a good example of, you know, clearly something isn't working with him. Well, how do you get him right? Now, I know they've worked with him. I know Hickey's worked with him on, like I said, really trying to improve his changeup. It, I think he only threw one of them in his last start. And that's a pitch that, you know, as a starting pitcher, you've got to have at least three, if not four, weapons you can go to. And it just hasn't been a consistent one for him. Um, you know they've also worked with him on some mechanics and uh, trying to make his sliders the key to his sliders it's got to look like it's going to be a strike before it then falls out of the zone and too many of them right out of the hand you can tell they're not so you know ultimately I always say it falls on the players but yeah the coaches it's their job to bring the best out of them and when things aren't going right to try to help figure out what they can do differently Um, you know in this case it has not worked yet and I'm sure as the season plays on, we may be talking more about it, but I think for right now, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit on the simplistic side to look at the coaching staff, but certainly it, it's fair to raise the question. And I, it was already being raised last year when you saw so many of their pitchers struggle.
0: I got Mark Zuckerman, Mass in Sports. Mark, Josh Bell exited the game earlier in the week with a left knee issue. the MRI was okay. He got back on the I'm back on the field. Um, then he leaves again over the weekend yesterday with a right hamstring issue. Um, what is the latest here? And do you kind of expect some kind of IEL stint for a guy like this, given that it's only April and he seems to kind of be playing through something?
1: Yeah, I think we'll find out more here in a little bit. Once we get in the clubhouse and once we hear from David Martinez, but that's it's not a good sign. I mean, the, the knee thing we were all worried about turns out the MRI was clean and he played the next day and by all accounts was doing fine. So that, that, you know, I think they caught a break there. Now it's a hamstring issue on the other leg and you got to be careful with those things. You know? um, he is too important to this team to risk it turning into something more serious. So he's getting an MRI on that. We'll see what it is. My hunch is that he's not in the lineup today. Uh, they have tomorrow off, so even, in a, even if everything turns out perfectly fine, you give him today off, he gets another day, and then come back on Tuesday. But they cannot afford to lose this guy. Um, right now, he and Juan Soto are the only ones in the lineup who are producing with any consistency And uh, even if others are hitting, I mean, Bell is such an important part of the lineup as the guy who hits behind Soto and Nelson Cruz, tons of RBI opportunities for him. And they really don't have depth. You know, it's funny a year ago, we said, Oh, well, Hey, they got Ryan Zimmerman. He can fill in for however long you need. Well, they don't have Zim anymore. Their backup first baseman is their everyday third baseman, Michael Franco. They don't really have a backup for him at third base. It was Lucius Fox yesterday. So their depth there is really thin. And, Obviously, Soto is the most important player on the team and in the lineup, but Josh Bell's right there behind him in terms of who they could least afford to lose, I think, for any length of time.
2: Mark, you know, one thing that's great about talking to you specifically is you have been here literally since the first pitch of this uh, franchise's existence. You have seen the iterations, the ups, the downs. Broadening this conversation out, where are you right now and kind of where they're at? Obviously, this is not looking like a contending year, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily negative if things are trending in the right way. How do you kind of put into context where they are relative to other other uh, iterations you've seen?
1: Yeah, I, I mean it's early in the process of this one, and um, you know, I think by the end of this year we'll have a clearer picture. It reminds me, at least going into the season, reminds me of where they were in two thousand and ten. So 2009 was the second of their back-to-back 100-loss seasons, really miserable year. But by 2010, you had Steven Strasburg making his debut that June. Obviously, everybody remembers that one. You had some young players like Ian Desmond, um, uh, Danny Espinoza. Uh, you had Drew Storen coming onto the scene. So so you start to see the foundation of the team that would win a couple years later in 2012. I think that, you know, in a – In their ideal world, that's where they are right now. And now Cade Cavalli might be where Strasburg was. You have Soto already here, kind of like they had Zim back in the day. Um, There are a couple other kids. You know, Johanna Doan has looked okay so far. There's a couple other pitchers we may see. Um, So I I think that's maybe where they're at. And, no, it's not going to result in a a contention this year. But if you get to the end of this year and you've identified some more important pieces for the future – are going to be a part of your team when they do win again, and maybe that's in a couple years from now, then I think you can say it was a success. Uh, The the key thing I try to remind people, you look back at that 2010 team, there were some building blocks, but a lot of the players who wound up on their first division championship team in 2012 were not here yet in 10. Either They were in the minors or they hadn't even been acquired yet. So you, you don't have to have all youngsters out there right now. It's not going to be the entire future. It's a very good chance that they could win in 2024, and a lot of the guys that are going to be on that roster aren't even here yet.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Mark, one more and then we'll let you go. With Strasburg, um, I keep seeing like May was the target date. We're, we're essentially at the last week of April here. Is that still a feasible thing in your mind? He's just really throwing bullpens right now, right? He hasn't really faced hitters or, or done any kind of rehab stint at all.
1: Yeah, so the latest uh, from the other day was that um, he, he may be now lined up to start facing hitters next week. Um, so that's you know an important step that you have to take. Now, what's weird is I saw him throw to live hitters in Florida back in March, early in spring training, and somewhere along the way they decided to back off of that and, and uh, go back to just throwing off a bullpen mound again. Um, it's a tricky thing, this injury. We've seen pitchers who have thoracic outlet surgery There's no real clear timetable. This isn't like Tommy John where you just know, hey, it's 12 months, then you're back on the mound. It's just a very set routine. It's kind of different for everyone, and not everyone recovers the same way from it. So I look at it as, you know, once he's facing hitters and maybe now starting to pitch in, like, simulated games or even a rehab assignment, you're probably talking another three or four weeks from that point for him just to build his arm back up again. So it sounds to me like we're looking more like June 1st, certainly than May 1st. I mean, maybe there's a point in late May if everything goes really well. But on top of all that, we don't really know what we're going to see from him whenever it is that he he comes back. You hope that he returns to the pitcher that he used to be. But we've seen examples of guys coming off that surgery that they may feel healthy, but they may just not be the same pitchers anymore. It's happened to Matt Harvey. It's happened to others. So, you know, you hope for the best with him. But my feeling as soon as I heard about that surgery last summer, my thought was, Whatever you get from him now is 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 gravy, you know? I hate to say that, but you can't count on getting peak Steven Strasburg anymore. If it happens, great, but if it doesn't, you have to understand that that's not uh, just going to be in the cards.
0: Yeah, it really seems like the Nationals robbed Peter to pay Paul, right? 19, you may never get good Patrick Corbin, good Steven Strasburg again, but flags fly forever, so... I guess I'll. And yeah, I'm it looking at it right
1: now over the scoreboard, so it's going to stay there no matter what happens <laughs> with those guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks so much, Mark. We really appreciate it.
1: All right, thanks. Good talk to you guys.
0: That's Mark Zuckerman, MassonSports.com. Uh, check him out on massinsports. Sports. He also does the Nats Chat podcast, great podcast uh, that gets into the Nationals. Uh, they've got a new episode up, uh, I believe, from Friday uh, that delves more into uh, Patrick Corbin and his struggles, but uh, really Ben. It's so interesting to me, uh, as you asked, the ebbs and flows of this organization really facing kind of another key moment in Nationals history. And I think what GM Mike Rizzo does over the next year or two is really going to determine whether they're good again soon or whether they fall into a abyss for the next five, six years.
2: Right. I mean, look. Obviously, it's if you're a fan, you want to root for the you want the 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 contending years, right? Who everybody wants to win. But these, to me, are the are often the more interesting times. What are the steps you're taking as an organization to reset and to get back up there? Who, where does the next batch of hope come from? And that is always a fun time to figure it out. And the Nats are going through it right now. And like Mark said, it's the early stages, and we'll see what happens.
0: Absolutely. Well, I know what's going to happen here. We're going to take a break in a couple minutes. I'm going to come back, talk a little bit more, uh, Nats, maybe get into the NBA because we're going to talk to our boy Fred Katz at the 11-15 hour about the NBA playoffs and what's going on with that as well. So stick with us. Richard Rowley, Ben Standing, here on 106.7 The Fan. Ben Standing and Britt Giroli back with you here on
2: 106.7 The Fan here with you till noon. Uh, Britt, the the constant theme keeps coming up here. I tell you, I go to Chris Rock last night with my friend Jim. He and I both went to see Lenny Kravitz together. We played the Lenny Kravitz song earlier. Jim and I also saw U2 together, and boom, we just have a a U2 song. I'm not even going to tell... Producer Donald, what other concerts we've seen? We'll see if we're just in the same rhythm here. If he can figure that, figure it out, that then the next one. There's a there's a there's certainly one big popular group left. We'll see if Donald. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, try to figure it out. Trust me, people, this is not on purpose. I'm just playing these songs, so it just so happens to be happening here. It, so that's kind of cool. It is. It is, yeah. it, it is kind of cool.
0: You know what else is happening? The District Donut Tour. I'm tweeting it right now. It's happening Sundays because we're gonna be on next Sunday. It might be on for. We be on for a few more Sundays.
2: Well, here's the quick question, though, because this is really all I'm going to be concerned about beyond the eating the tasty donuts. Do we have to go get them, or are you expecting yes. delivery?
0: I think you. What? No, I think you're gonna have to go get them. My issue. Uh, well, then
2: I'm glad you're taking the lead on this.
0: We'd have to go. We'll go like it. We'll rotate around. You're gonna have to get up a few minutes early on your time. Then.
2: By the way, I mean, look, 800-636-1067. You want to talk to us about. We just discussed with Mark Zuckerman about what's going on with uh, the Nats. You want to talk NFL draft. Give us your thoughts on what uh, Washington should do at 11 or clearly what's on top of Britt's mind. You want to tell us where in town we should be tasting donuts from on these Sundays. The, clearly, this is a, a, a very important topic and you can let us know what you think about uh, w- w- where we should uh, go. Who should we talk to?
0: Yeah, um, I was going to say I hope they're open except any donut place where their salt is open very early on Sunday morning. They're certainly open before we go on at nine.
2: Certainly, sir. I, I, yes, that that would be the logical uh, assumption for 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 sure. Um, but the uh, I was just looking here that we have the they're showing highlights of the NBA playoffs last night. Did you see what Memphis coach Taylor Jenkins had to say about the officiating following the uh, Grizzlies' 119-118 loss? No, in game four. Now, coaching, coaching, coaches rip the officiating. It's not. It's hardly a breaking news story. But his, his comments were pretty aggressive. Let me, let me read these to you. So, again, they lose by one point. Quote, we've got to play better, but in my opinion, this was one of the most poorly officiated games I've ever seen in my NBA career. All five of our starters borderline fouled out in the first quarter. Ten plus foul difference, 40 free throws. Yeah, some things we've got to clean up and get better at, but I've never seen a more consistent and arrogant officiated game. And he. He keeps going. He says he knows the fines coming. I've never heard that before. Inconsistent and arrogant. Like we we hear people say that some officials are arrogant, but we rarely hear the coach after the game call it out because one, he's going to get fined. Two, some of these people will be at some point (laughs) officiating your game again. Uh, You typically don't want to make them upset, but interesting that he went that hard uh, at the officials.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know if that is a smart move, but it's a move.
2: I mean, I guess on the one hand, it may not be smart for the next time you get these refs, but perhaps you have to weigh the, I got my players back. I need my players to buy into what I'm selling. They need to know that if we think we see things, uh, we think we're getting hosed or whatever it is that I've got you here. This We're not just going to you know passively sit by and, and, and get taken advantage of if that's how they all are, are viewing it.
0: Yeah, speaking of the NBA, you know what I didn't realize today when I was reading uh before I I drove here that no team has ever come back from a 3-0 hole ever? Every other sport if that has happened. It happens in hockey like on the reg. I feel like you're never safe in hockey. Um it's it's happened in baseball. That's never happened in the NBA?
2: Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I guess the answer would be yes when when I believe I'm right. When LeBron and the Cavaliers came back from a three-one deficit in the finals to beat Golden State, I think that was yeah. the first time in the finals that anybody had come back from a three-to-one uh, hole. You know, in basketball, I think of all the, the 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 sports, the the four main sports we talk about here, professionals. Somebody at the end of the year is the champion, and we view them as the best team. Realistically, though, they're just the team that won that tournament. I think the best team. If we're going to make that claim, the NBA has the best case for that because to play the amount of games you have to play in which only a small handful of human beings are really running the show, you know, whoever your star players are and then some of the main supporting cast, like that's the team. And I think it's very hard to come back from that because if you have the better players, like you, you know what I mean, like it's. You, 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 whatever the Steph Curry or whoever it is, is not going to go into the equivalent of a two for 24 shooting slump or going through whatever Patrick Corbin going through over four more games. That would be my kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It's just interesting. I'm, I think I read it in conjunction with the fact that, you know, Brooklyn is obviously down uh, to Boston. 03. Kevin Durant said he had Corbin thinking too much during this game. That was a factor for his poor play. Um,
2: well, he's gonna be have to be thinking about some of his choices he's made because he um, he's the one that ultimately let, chose to go here with this team and you know he chose to latch on with Kyrie Irving who's uh, you know struggling here in these in these games but obviously over the course of the year uh, you know, obviously was not even with the team for a chunk of time Kevin Durant hooked himself up with Kevin with uh, James Harden who then forced his way out to make a trade that's gonna give them that's gave them Ben Simmons who may make his debut in, in game four but that's a whole other story. So Kevin Durant is, he's got a lot of time to think about what choices he's been making here. Yeah,
0: hey, He's got a lot of time to think about the fact that he's uh, 19 for 52 uh, from the field, three straight losses to the Celtics. Uh, listen, I, I think we both picked the Celtics to, to get through this first round. I picked the Celtics to come out of the East um, in general. I don't think either one of us saw this steamrolling coming, however, uh, of Brooklyn. Did you?
2: No, no, certainly not 3 0. I mean, I think we both picked the Celtics to win this series when we made our predictions. And, uh, you know, I I think the the Celtics defense has been tremendous this year. Uh, If you go by, look at like the 538 projections and some of those other analytics before the playoffs started, they were the team picked to win the title. I think there was some question in this series because they were without their starting center, Robert Williams, who's huge for that defense. And you're going up against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but the Nets, their supporting cast is really just lacking. And those two guys haven't been good enough to to carry the load the way they're going to need to um but 3-0 that's I mean you know you're not expecting 3-0 even from an 8 from a 1-8 series necessarily let alone where Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are on the other team
0: yeah there's been some early but there's been some real interesting stuff already coming out of the NBA playoffs when we come back what have we learned early on from these NBA playoffs. We'll get into that. Uh, Fred Katz from The Athletic going to talk 11:15 NBA playoffs with us. Britt Ciroly, Ben Standing, uh, back here in just a few minutes on 106.7 The Fan.
2: All right, uh, Ben Standing and Brick Giroli here. We write for The Athletic, but we're with you on 106.7 The Fan until noon. Nats uh, up later today here on these airwaves at 135, closing out their series against the Giants. Of course, the pregame show coming up before that. We were just talking some NBA. Uh, we'll talk more at 11.15 with our colleague Fred Katz. He's been covering the Memphis-Minnesota series, but no doubt paying attention to all the events. And right, right before the break UTs that we will we'll share what we have learned so far during these NBA playoffs. Uh, it's always interesting, these early salvos, uh, can the young team step up? Which veterans look ready to go? What have you learned so far uh, as we are uh, on our way here in the first round?
0: Well, I, I told you off air that I was going to talk about some of the young guys, and certainly I think there's been a lot of excitement about that, but I think I'm going to zero in a little bit um more and get to the Heat Hawks because i think that series very early on the the heat go up pretty quickly um and then you see the Hawks kind of save their season last night and i guess what i've learned ben is how one key player can make such a big difference and you know you look around the nba and there's so many key players out that you can make the case that pretty much every team is playing without somebody um except i think when you look at Um, this series uh, between Miami, you wonder what is the margin for error now that Kyle Lowry's out? Is it going to change? Probably not too much in a 1-8 situation, but is it going to change how deep they go? Is it going to change the tenor of this series? Uh, Are the Hawks, who looked dead the first two games, and now it's 2-1, they're in a 2-1 hole, are they going to extend this series a little bit more because of it? Um, I think we've learned just how important Injuries can be. And, you know, you talk about the next man up mentality and whatnot. Uh, but this certainly makes this series a little bit more interesting in my mind.
2: Uh, for sure. I mean, the way the Miami Heat play, they've got a lot of talented players. And from a mentality standpoint, you're not going to beat them in that regard. You're just going to have to play um, high level. They're not going to necessarily lose games for themselves, not with the Pat Riley culture there, not with Jimmy Butler as your lead player so I don't think they'll have like a dip even if, if uh, Kyle Lowry does miss time I guess it looks like it'll be uh, something of a game time decision for game four and we've seen the Hawks obviously last year have a really fun uh, series you know making it uh, deep into the playoffs last year I think for me I guess my biggest takeaway is that the, the Golden State Warriors may be right now the team to beat now Phoenix was the clear favor going into the playoffs, but now Devin Booker's out at least a couple of weeks. It looks like with, with a hamstring injury, but not just that golden state is looking very, uh, splash brothery, uh, you know, death lineup-y, uh, from, from, you know, a few years ago, they've just been unable to have their, their core pieces on the court together <laughs> at the same time. And, uh, they are looking really good. Uh, Jordan Poole's giving them that third option with Curry and Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green is the all-time Swiss Army knife player. He can do so many different things, particularly defend bigger, uh, bigger men. Even though you know Nikola Jokic has gotten his in this series, Draymond Green is the one who's really kind of giving them that uh, battle-minded edge. And and the, the, right now, to me, they're the team to beat until we see where Devin Booker is with his injury.
0: Yeah, we, we talked last segment, but it looks like the Nets are a mess. Um, we talked about Kevin Durant. That's something I think that I didn't expect. You didn't expect. People probably didn't expect going in as well either. So there's been some really intriguing developments here. There's also been some really good games. Um, obviously, there was the epic collapse uh, with the Timberwolves that we watched unfold here on Thursday? Is that
2: Thursday night that we watched? Yeah, the, it was the what the 21-0 run by by the Grizzlies or whatever the ultimate run, but as we were watching it was a 21-0 run and they can't, you know, kudos to them. They came back to win that next game. Whether the whether the Timberwolves win that series or not ultimately, that they did come back, I think does show something pretty good about where, where the younger guys cuz you can easily fold under that scenario. Those right. those kinds of epic collapses uh can say a lot. Uh or you know, can really damage you depending on your mentality, but you know Anthony Edwards and and Carl Anthony Towns good job this last game and uh they stepped up to win.
0: Yeah and as usual some great coverage on the athletic there's kind of a live blog and also just like some scenarios of of what may happen today um you know kind of like what to watch for um there are some must win must win situations that are that are coming up here in the NBA that are going to be um you know I don't want to say interesting to see because you the reason that there must-win situations is because the series has been so lopsided, right? Um, but, uh, again, check out the athletic stuff if you haven't already. A lot of really good info on there on, on everything that is going on.
2: Yeah, and, and, back, and just back to my point, when I say Golden State sort of the team to beat, I guess I'm viewing it more from the West. I mean, the Celtics, you know, Say whatever we want to say, but the Nets—they're looking awfully impressive yes. uh, to, to go up three zip on Brooklyn, and they did it. You know, Robert Williams was out the first couple of games. Jason Tatum is absolutely looking like a first-team All NBA level player, and then you have the Milwaukee Bucks, who you know we'll see again. They've got the Chris Middleton injury, but. You know, we're not going to dismiss the defending champs, uh, especially with Giannis and Antetokounmpo there. So there are several teams in the mix, but Golden State, I think, has gone from sort of being a bit of a sleeper to thrusting themselves very high, if not to the top of the list right now, uh, based on, you know, where we're at uh, midway through round one.
0: Yeah, and we talked about the Suns. I mean, they've been good. They've had these opportunities before. and They haven't been able to cash in. Everyone keeps saying, this is it. This is the year for the Suns. But I think if you're a, a Suns fan, if you followed that team, you never think it is because you've come so close and you've fallen short so many times.
2: Yeah. I mean, the Chris Paul factor is, you know, he, he's like one of those star crossed players in, in NBA history. One of the best players. He, he is a huge reason why his teams overachieve over and over again, including this one. And yet, at the finish line something happens uh you know last year it looked like they were going to win the finals and then they kind of lost their way to the bucks uh 806361067 we're we'll, we'll, we're taking your calls about NBA you want to talk nats you want to talk commanders we'll we'll get to some of your calls um in the next uh segment. we've got some lining up here but yeah no the the NBA playoffs have been have been fun and i think it's always interesting the first two rounds are a lot of fun, but then it, then you get through those first two rounds, like wow, we still have two more rounds to go. So we, you can't take make too many judgments at this point, but we're at least seeing which teams are sort of showing early on that they're ready to go. Uh, you know, the the Sixers, I think, were impressive early on. Um, I think when we started uh, the, before the playoffs started, we talked to our Fred Fred Katz, and he picked the uh, the Toronto Raptors to beat the Sixers, which was not an unusual pick. It was an upset pick, but it was not an unusual pick because people were so down on Philly. Right. We'll see though. They're up, they're still up three to one, even though they just lost game four, but Joel Embiid is dealing with this hurt thumb that under normal circumstances, he might be out several weeks if not needing surgery. It's the playoffs. So he's going to wait, but if he's not the full throated version of Joel Embiid, then their chances of you know beating the bucks or the heat or whomever they're going to face down the line you know it's going to be that much more challenging
0: isn't being down on on a Philly sports team just part of being a Philly sports fan
2: <laughs> hey they won a super bowl a couple of years ago right A few years ago
0: they won a world series in what uh
2: gosh well that's been a, that's been a little bit of they time they had a
0: dynasty for a little while like oh not like that oh, oh, 08 oh, 09 um span 10 even um, they had a good group of people but um yeah I just feel like that's part of Philly, right? They boost Santa Claus there. That's just part of it.
2: They, they, they do well. Look, they've they've got two first round picks in the draft coming up, so they got something to look forward to this week for sure. On on, on that front, I think Philly's the Eagles are one of the more interesting teams. So you know, look, it looks like the Sixers are going to get out of this first round. Then you got the draft, so you know, at least for for the short term, there's some reason to be hopeful if you're a Philly fan. Then you can go back to negative town if that if that's where you want to go. Which I get. I mean, you know, you know, sports fans, I get it.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, when we come back though we'll get a, we'll get a little bit more into the NBA and then probably switch gears a little bit talk NFL draft. that is finally coming up after months of anticipation. Uh, ben Standing, who covers the commanders is going to give us a little insight uh, into what they may do and and some other unorthodox possibilities because it seems like we've just been debating these same couple names for them. So uh, keep it here. we'll be back in just a few minutes, Bricciooli, Ben Standing. Here on 106.7 The Fan. Alright, welcome back. Richie Roly Ben Standing. Here with you on 106.7 The Fan Overtime. Sunday morning, before the Nats get going later today, they close out their series against the Giants at 1.30. That you can listen to here on 106.7 The Fan. Nats pregame starting before that. And then of course Ben and I until noon chatting baseball football wordle Ben just asked me during the break if I play wordle my here's my issue with wordle um
2: reminder we are a uh, co-worker of wordle
0: yeah so just, I'm yeah. just I'm, it doesn't matter here's my issue with wordle um it becomes like an obsessive thing for people where they have to do it every day like my husband is a very obsessive personality and it's supposed to be a once a day thing like a 5 minute 10 minute thing. He found some back channel website that has all these old wordles so he's constantly playing wordle. Uh
2: well there's also uh yeah and there's also a lot of other variations off of it now like yeah. different uh different way different uh, music or nba or whatever. So yeah you can have fun of it. Yeah yeah, I mean it is uh it does become an addicting thing. Um, I was just telling you basically I often every day it flips over at midnight and somewhere probably I I tend to be up. So like at like 1220. I'm probably playing it, which means if I finish it right, then I have to wait the full 24 hours instead of like waking up and playing it and then doing it midday. Then you only have, you you don't have as many hours to wait. So I really kick in the addiction and it's there for a long, uh, a long, long time over the course of a day. Um, Speaking of uh, things that are there often, one of our callers, Chris, is on the line. Chris has been a frequent caller in here when when Ben and Britt are uh, doing the radio, and I presume this is a Nats question, so Britt is ready. Chris, you're on I, with Hey, hello. Ben. No,
3: actually, it's a Hall of Fame question. I was asked about the Hall of Fame in the steroid era, and I just wanted to hear y'all's opinion. But before that, um, I meant to say Britt mentioned something the other night ex- ex- she's expecting, and I just wanted to wish all the blessings and best wishes from a baseball fan to another and put a, put the baseball very early in the left hand. And, um, some, but for heaven's sake, somebody get her some donuts. <laughs> um,
0: we are start. Anyway. we're definitely starting that starting Sunday. We are going to be getting donuts in here.
3: Uh, okay. Yeah. You have a, yeah, nobody can give you a hard time and I'm sure you're exciteful. I remember that too, from one of our pre- re- previous conversations, but anyway, the hall of fame. So, my, I started with like Ken Burns said once um, that uh, you know the Hall of Fame is kind of a way to tell the story of baseball, and so well then you can't really tell you got to mention the steroid era at some point, but I'm um, no on pretty much everything, but but you know some people said I have different opinions, and I I don't know what to think of it sometimes, and my stars, the worst of them was Rafael Palmeiro, compounding things by waving his finger at Congress, and then. Right. There's just so much to it and and I so know. So what's Joe Morgan what's the question
0: then, with the Hall of Fame?
3: Pardon me? What's your question about the Hall of Fame? I guess where do you all stand on the ins or outs of those fellas and in time or never ever or what? That's a, that's, right. that's my question I guess. So thank you for the time today. Have a wonderful day.
0: All right, thanks for calling. Uh Ben, where do you stand, first of all, about guys steroid guys making it into the Hall of Fame? Obviously a hot topic this year because Barry Bonds did not get in. And it seems like, I don't know if you follow uh, this much, but the Hall of Fame announced some changes to the election process that's going to make it a little bit harder for guys like Bonds and Clemens to get in. Uh, so clearly they not so subtly don't want them in. There, I continue to believe Barry Bonds should be in. I know I asked for your opinion first. I'm giving mine first anyway. Um, my issue is, Too much of this has become about how nice these guys were. Like David Ortiz gets in this past time and he's fine. David Ortiz is a fine player, but he's also beloved by the media, right? Everyone's like, oh, big poppy this. He's got this personality. Um, If Barry Bonds was nicer to the media, he'd be in the hall of fame. That's my issue is because he wasn't nice to reporters. People think he's a jerk. And then therefore that's just enough along with the steroids to keep him out when that shouldn't be how it is. Now, To be clear, I don't have a Hall of Fame vote. Um, I spent 10 years in MLB, and they didn't count many of those years. They just recently changed it. So I will have a vote in two years, even though I've been covering baseball since 2008. I would vote for Barry Bonds. I don't think every steroid guy deserves to be in, but I think when you look at the stats of Barry Bonds and you look at some of the people that are getting in, like Barry Bonds is 10 times the player that David Ortiz was. But David Ortiz was nice, and he played in Boston, and they won the World Series. None of that should matter at all when it comes to Hall of Fame voting.
2: Yeah, 100%. I think that, like, we have been dealing with this Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens thing for years. And it seemed like the basic line was if people thought they were were involved with the steroids, that they were holding them back for that reason. Now... David Ortiz's name has been mentioned in various conversations, but then he gets in, and I really thought this was a year that, like you said, showed it was more about a popularity contest than it was the actual merits of this conversation. And my basic take from this whole start has been if the player was clearly one of the best in the sport, if not all time, prior to this notion of when they may or may not have started to take steroids, then they should get in. Barry Bonds was the best player in baseball for years. He was one of the best I don't know what number you want to say, 20, 30, 40, 50 best players of all time, but get somewhere in that range. Prior to that, R- Roger Clemens was winning Cy Young's prior to some notion of when he may or may not have started to, to use something. Whereas like say Mark McGuire, to me, that was always more debatable. His, the entire premise of Mark McGuire's candidacy is the amount of home runs. He's not the whole all around player that a guy like bonds was. And, I, I maybe have to question that he came up right as the the, the Bash brothers were starting when this whole era of 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 uh, steroids and what have you was was really just starting. So to me, that one's more questionable. But Bonds and Clemens, in particular, it is preposterous that they're not in and I think this year as you said with Ortiz it really drove home the point that this was less about some principled stance and more about do I like the guy and that really is ridiculous.
0: Yeah that that to me is what it's becoming a lot of and you know I've talked with you this very unpopular take then off the air of like why do writers get a vote then right because I think everyone has biases and if a guy's mean to me I'm not gonna like him as much as a, a big poppy who everyone loves and you know um, again, if Barry Bonds was nicer, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. And that, to me, this is the Hall of Fame based on statistics, right? This isn't like the, you were nice to me, you granted interviews Hall of Fame. So do writers have to be not taken out of the process? Do we have to change the process and the way it works? Because that shouldn't factor in
2: at all. Well, I mean, ultimately, this comes down to, I think, the response. Like, we can debate what's the best method. And I, I don't know if anything's are, are, are good when you, when you put it onto the responsibility of the former players or or, you know, the, or people who have been playing or, or part of the league, there's different types of biases there that come into it that, you know, they don't see the world the way that we all do on the outside. So I think it's good to have the writers there as the conduit for us, the representatives, for the fans, but at the same time, get over yourself. Like, you don't need to be, like, acting like, you know, moral judge and jury here. You know, you don't like the guy. And it does feel like, no offense to your sport, that baseball has way more case of being – you know, oh, you know oh, bigger in your britches in this regards than the other sports do. Yes. I mean, by far, and it, it is incredibly frustrating, and it's one of the many reasons why I'm becoming more of a reformed baseball fan, like not as engaged as I was historically because over and over again, it's just like, what what, what are we doing here? Like NBA puts in too many people. Baseball, it's like, uh, you know, come on. How is Barry Bonds not in?
0: Baseball has this way about it that is very like, Old, they are so. Someone put this to me the other day because the Apple TV broadcasts that have been going on have been just terrible, ravaged. Uh, baseball is so slow to change compared to other sports. It's nostalgia, right? It's like, oh, I watched with my grandfather on the front porch, um, and everyone is so, you know, slow to to change that it really becomes dated in a lot of aspects because of that it's like okay well this is how we've always done it here we're baseball we're america's pastime and it's like it'd actually be better if we got rid of a lot of that stuff a lot of that old way of thinking and just adapted to the here and now
2: yeah i mean look ultimately no matter what your product is you have to adapt to the time and one of baseball's great strengths is the tradition that you can go all the way back to the beginning of the 20th century and still connect to the sport today But you can't just live in the past. You also still have to evolve to where we are in modern times. And it just feels like over and over again, people are stuck in some other year, not to mention, as we're saying, some level of arrogance here with regards to their vote and how these players should or should not behave. Um, How we're going to behave is that we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we've got more commanders talk. We'll reset some thoughts going going to NFL draft. We'll talk NBA playoffs and more here on 106.7 The Fan.